What's good, everybody, and a welcome to another episode of What's Good Games Live for Monday, April 13th, 2020. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Rihanna Manuel. What's up, what's up? Hey, girl, hey. <laughs> welcome to the Monday show. Thanks. It's good to be on camera this time instead of creeping in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you can creep in the chat whenever you want, <laughs> of course. Uh, we're just glad that you were able to join us. Um, as you guys know, uh, Britt is taking a little bit of a mental health break, so she's not on the show today, but we are keeping her in our thoughts, and hopefully she will be back soon. And in the meantime, we get to have Brianna on the show, which is a big is a big bonus for me. Um, <laughs> so, Re, we've got actually a surprising amount of news. When I was putting the show together this morning, I was like, oh, it feels a little light. And then I was like, oh, and then I found this story, and then I found this story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been it's going to be a good show today. As people have mentioned in the Twitch chat at twitch.tv slash what's good games where you can join us every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific time live. I accidentally put the wrong date in the headline, <laughs> but I have since fixed it. So if you refresh your Twitch window. The correct date will appear. Yes, I said it was April 16th, and no, it's not. It's April 13th. It's kind of crazy to think, Re, that it's April 13th already yeah. when it felt like March would never end. March was very, very long for lots of reasons. And, you know, sometimes you just need to do an Animal Crossing time skip in your Twitch description. It's fine. No big deal. Oh, are you a time skipper? No. No, I am not a time <laughs> skipper. I have witnessed some time skipping. And uh, okay. it can get a little confusing. So totally fine. I feel like from obviously you guys know that I'm not currently playing Animal Crossing, but I think that from what I've seen in my timeline that it seems that time skipping is very contentious, that some people are like, ah, time skipping is totally fine. And other people are like, time skipping is cheating. Yeah, people get sensitive about cheat codes and exploits and any game and Animal Crossing is definitely not safe from that criticism. So I'm not really surprised. Well, you know, criticism on the internet hits a thing. It's just part it's of our thing. life now. It's a way of life. Um, so today on the show, we will be talking about game ratings now have loot box warnings from the ESRB, those Resident Evil 3 sales numbers, and of course, we'll be diving in to the Valorant beta because Ree and I got a chance to play. Yeah. But before we get to that, we have a couple announcements. As I had mentioned, we're live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. If you guys are able to join us, that's great. If you're not, you can always Send in your questions to whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG. And of course, if you're currently in the Twitch chat and you have questions about any of the stories we're talking about today, or you just want to ask myself or Ree something, let us know, of course, in whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG. Plus, we announced on the show last week that for the first time ever, What's Good Games is going to be doing a movie watch-along. And this, of course, is courtesy of Ree. It was Ree's idea. And I was like, this is, a fucking, this is a great idea. Let's do it. So the What's Good Games movie matinee is happening on Saturday, April 18th. We're going to kick things off at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Have a, a drink or a coffee, a little conversation, warm everybody up, and then we'll all press play together on Mortal Kombat. So Ooh, I'm excited. I, know you, I know it's going to be super fun. So I don't know if you saw Ray that they announced this morning that NetherRealm is doing a Mortal Kombat watch along on Twitter today, and I was no. like, "No, you're stealing my thunder!" Scooped. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but if you guys want to join NetherRealm, please do. But also come back and join us. Yes, I had mentioned in my Patreon vlog that. I really also highly considering doing a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory watch along because I love that movie. <laughs> and slash it's got sing perfect, along. <laughs> right? 
perfect sing-along moment. So we might have to do a separate one, separate one for that. But do mark your calendars. It should be a fun time. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and get into the news, shall we? Yeah. There's a lot. It's really exciting. There is. So the first story is from Polygon, Mr. Michael Recorder over there. Game ratings will now include loot box warnings. The ESRB says the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, the organization that rates games in North America based on content, is adding a new rating designation to account for loot boxes, gacha mechanics, and other randomized items. The ESRB announced today that it will specify a game has in-game purchases with random items and update to the broader in-game purchase warning label. The ESRB said the new designation will be assigned to video games that contain in-game offers to purchase digital goods or premiums with real-world currency or with virtual coins or other forms of in-game currency that can be purchased with real-world currency, for which the player doesn't know prior to purchase the specific digital goods or premiums they will be receiving, i.e., loot boxes, item packs, mystery rewards, etc. The warning will apply to games with loot boxes, gacha games, item or cart packs, prize wheels, treasure chests, and more. <laughs> the original designation in-game purchases will still apply to games with other types of purchases like add-on levels, cosmetics, expansions, and other downloadable content. The ESRB introduced the in-game purchase label back in 2018 in response to the controversy over the video game industry loot box and randomized item tactics in games such as Middle Earth, Shadow of War, Call of Duty, World War II, and Star Wars Battlefront II. The ESRB says it's making the change in response to feedback from many game consumers and enthusiasts, not necessarily parents, who felt the original broad designation of in-game purchases was not sufficient enough. I think that's a little interesting aside from the ESRB, like, yo, parents weren't actually asking for this. It was <laughs> all of these other people complaining on the internet about it. Yeah. Uh, which I just thought, which I thought was uh, fascinating. As people know, I have a very contentious relationship with loot boxes. Um, <laughs> clearly, we're against predatory practices at large. Um, but I was always of the mindset that as long as it's disclosed and as long as they are very open and honest and transparent about it, you know, it's kind of like free market enterprise. Definitely. And I how think do you the, feel about it? Yeah, I think the really important thing to remember about this is it's just giving the information. It's not banning the practice. It's not telling games that they need to be removed or well, not in most markets. And Honestly, the information is what's really important for people who are trying to protect themselves and also parents trying to protect their kids who are playing. But there are people who knowingly become whales and they're trying to avoid it or people who have addictive personalities or maybe a history with addiction and know that that's a trigger for them. And if they have the information up front and can make that distinction between a game that would be good for them or possibly not good for them. That's always the best choice. So I think it's really great that we finally have this on like upfront and it doesn't have to be in the game description. It's not left up to chance or interpretation. It is there in game purchases. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we've discussed a lot along the way that this is something that feels like it's an easy tactic for the ESRB to add or an easy tactic for the platforms to add, whether it be the Apple Store or the PlayStation Network or what have you, wherever you're buying your games, it doesn't seem like it's asking that much to just disclose the fact that there's going to be these types of transactions inside the game because we saw the mobile market really move much quicker in doing these kinds of disclaimers than other forms of game publishing has. So I think what I 
would still like to see, which I've mentioned before, is I still want to see drop rates because there are still a lot of games that are doing what I would call pretty disgusting drop rates for loot boxes. You really do have to put quite a bit of money in before you get anything. And sometimes the RNG is just never going to be on your side. I talk about RNGs in Destiny 2 all the time and how... (laughs) He just does not hear my prayers. So <laughs> just disrespectful. <laughs> just disrespectful, R and Jesus. So I still would like to see drop rates. I, I think, you know, this is a great step. And I think one more step that I would like to see is, you know, what are the percentages? What are the odds of you getting it? Do you get better odds over time if you put more money in, et cetera, et cetera? And I think once we get there, then you really don't have as much of a leg to stand on with complaints about it. I do know that there are people out there that have a very anti loot box stance all around or just like just get rid of them just pull them out of games altogether and you know i think there is an argument to be made for that but i just think you know if you look at the video games publishing business i think baby steps are a better path to victory than just outright banning definitely and it gets really tricky when you start to dictate what developers can and can't do as a consumer or even as the esrb So I tend to opt for just being transparent about what is in your game content-wise and also transaction-wise. And I think this is at least a step in the right direction. If we get to a point where the the market can't sustain loot boxes, I think the the developers will begin to see that and publishers will start to see that and the decision would sort of be made for them. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's the thing that, you know, we've talked about before as well is that if people hated these things so much, why are they still buying them? Yeah, because <laughs> they're definitely mm-hmm. still buying them. Yeah, I mean, I get the caches in the Division 2. <laughs> Guilty. I still buy stuff from Eververse. Guilty. Yeah, Battle Pass stuff. Like, it's tempting and for good reason. Like, it scratches that itch of, you know, opening a new baseball card pack or Pokemon cards. So it, it's nice that... For the, fe- the folks that can handle it and that want it, you know, it's still there. Do you, did you, were you big into Pokemon card packs? I wasn't, but uh, I have one cousin that definitely was. I think he's actually in the Twitch chat right now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Give him a shout out. Shout out to you, Johnny. Hey, thanks for joining. <laughs> <laughs> All that juice. People still pay for bottled water, so you know. I'm not quite sure what that comment means, <laughs> but... Cool. I mean, I do. I also pay for bottled water. <laughs> Are you trying to take a dig at me? Let's go. I mean, sometimes anyway, you just need a bottle of water from the fridge. It's ready to go. That's true. Just recycle. Yeah. Make sure you're recycling, everybody. Okay, let's move on to the next story. Resident Evil 3 Remake ships 2 million in just five days. Mm. This write-up comes from gamesindustry.biz. The Resident Evil 3 Remake shipped more than 2 million copies in the first five days after release. Capcom announced last week the publisher said that nearly half of the Xbox One, PS4, and PC game sales have come digitally. The reimagined Resident Evil 3 is off to a slower start than last year's Resident Evil 2 Remake, however, which shipped 3 million within its first five days on sale. However, the difference in launch shipments between the two games nearly replicates the sales ratio between their original PlayStation inspirations. Oh, that's interesting. 1998's Resident Evil 2 cumulatively sold 4.96 million copies, while 1999's Resident Evil 3 Nemesis sold a total of 3.5 million units. Hmm. The Resident Evil 2 remake has now shipped more than 6.5 million units, and 
we heard some uh, some spicy rumors. Video Games Chronicle reported yet it wasn't technically yesterday. <laughs> last week that a Resident Evil 4 remake is now in production at Capcom. Reed, you want to read this one? Uh yeah, hold on, let me uh open that guy up. So you guys may have heard this rumor going around and um interesting. Interesting yeah. stuff here. All right, so <laughs> following so this is from as you said, uh, Video Games Chronicle. Uh following its reimaginings of Resident Evil 2 and 3, Multiple development sources have told VGC that the Resident Evil 4 remake has now entered full production with an estimated release window in 2022. Um, should I read the rest of this or is that the meat and the potatoes no, of it? I, I, think that's, I think that's probably up there. <laughs> so there was an update that says, you know, that more alleged details have emerged on Capcom's Resident Evil 4 remake project, including claims that it will be co-developed by parts of the RE2 and Devil May Cry 5 team which I think is good news yeah. because those two games were fantastic. Loved Devil May Cry. Did you play DMC5? I did not, but I watched a lot of it. My my partner knew played it, and it looked amazing. Well, if you're into fast-paced combat and big boss battles, yes. I highly recommend you guys check it out. It was an excellent game. Um, and turns out, now's the time to dip into the backlog, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much backlog. <laughs> um, so I... I'm kind of like, I don't want to say it that I'm surprised because I'm not because ultimately Capcom is going to drive a lot of their content decisions based on business, not mm-hmm. necessarily based on, you know, um, <laughs> fan response to a game, right? Because fan yeah. response can be all over the place. And as we know, there's a lot of online forums that highlight vocal minorities about games and not exactly what the sales are of yeah. games. And clearly, you know, Resident Evil 3 Remake has done well. Two million in its first week is fantastic. I fully expect that number to increase over time. No surprise that the vast majority of that came from digital sales and knowing that people are having trouble with physical distribution pipelines right now for a variety of reasons <laughs> due to the pandemic. I imagine that digital numbers are just going to become an ever-increasing portion of all game launches going forward. But are you interested at all in the idea of a Resident Evil 4 remake? You don't strike me necessarily as someone who's like super into Resident Evil. (laughs) I'm not into horror in general. Um, That includes pretty much everything except horror novels, which I actually like a lot. But Resident Evil 4 remake does make a whole lot of sense. And I am looking forward to seeing other people play it, maybe watching some some Lights Out streams, potentially. Um, and more than anything, I really like that this has opened up these games to so many newcomers. And it would have been me if it wasn't a horror subject kind of a game. But um, it's just great to see a lot of things shining once again. And the stories holding up, the basic mechanics holding up, the, the gameplay loops holding up. It just really gives me a lot of pride of being an older gamer. I guess I'm older gamer over 30. <laughs> and just seeing that that people are still older. interested in playing these older titles. Older gamers like over 60. Then oh. you're an older gamer. Okay, so I'm a middle-aged gamer? <laughs> you're just a regular-aged gamer. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'll take regular age. But <laughs> more than anything, it's just nice to see that people are still interested in these things and that they can make some big numbers because, ooh, two million in, in five days is really impressive. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And, you know, I see we've got a lot of people talking about it in the chat as well. But I... <laughs> 
I know that you guys are hoping that you know, we're going to get you know Brittany's thoughts on this as well. And don't worry, she will be back to give her thoughts. But oh, yes. it's, it's interesting hearing that they did decide to go with RE4, knowing that a lot of the Resident Evil experts that I've talked to in my friends group have said, you know, like, I hope they just skip it and go straight to Code Veronica. Yeah. I wonder if the plan is just to do them all at this point and go, why not? <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see if they do five because that game still holds up today, graphically at least. And... I mean, maybe not side by side with something like The Last of Us, but it's definitely oh. a newer game. What game and- does? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how far they take the remakes because then they'll start kind of getting closer to the current gen. And I don't know how much of a change that would really be. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I would say probably like four or Code Veronica would be where I would imagine they would stop. Yeah. But. I mean, I guess they could hypothetically remaster instead of fully remake yeah. some of the some of the newer games, like your RE6s, etc. But yeah. you kind of got to go, do you want to redo the entire collection? I had hoped that we would see some more new IP from Capcom, but we're at we're coming to that weird generational switch where we don't know exactly how many of the major publishers are going to continue to focus their development on current generation. Yeah. Or they're going to move to upcoming generation, knowing that, you know, there's over 150 million people worldwide currently with a current generation console, right? Whether you're playing on switch or PS4 or Xbox one, like that's a lot of gamers Mm -hmm. for third party specifically to, Potentially leave behind in favor of the new thing. So we're going to see probably, at least for the first year, a lot of people doing crossover stuff mm-hmm. and then moving into the new generation, probably like 2022 and beyond, that would be my guess. Yeah. And I'm assuming there there are a number of titles that are getting that upgrade treatment. So maybe you pay a less, like a smaller than $60 price tag to get the new version, or they just give you a free update if you sign in with your new console. But It'll be interesting to see what that split is this time around when the graphical fidelity between the two consoles is not as vast. Exactly. Sorry, I got a little distracted by all, <laughs> all the, the emotes the being thrown into Twitch chat. We got booties. We got my we got my side eye face. Uh, <laughs> welcome everybody who has just joined us. We got a strong What's Good Guardians presence in the chat today. Um, Lucy Jen is there too. So I hope you stick around Lucy Jen because Rihanna and I are going to be talking about Valorant in just a little bit. Uh, we were contemplating streaming and I still think I might. So at first when I logged into play with Lucy Jen and Rhea, I was like, Oh boy, how did I just conveniently forget that this is WASD and <laughs> Mouse and keyboard and me with first-person shooters don't exactly get along. So I was like, maybe I don't want to stream because I'm going to suck real bad. But then I was like, what if I stream it and then just have the disclaimer that I suck at Valorant? And then if you want to watch me suck again <laughs> to just watch the gameplay. Um, so we're going to try to put that together just for funsies, knowing full well that I'm terrible um, at WASD. Because when I, I'm not bad at shooting... <laughs> It's the moving around that's the hard part. It's it's hard and it's very different. It's not a transferable skill to go from your thumb to your four fingers. Like it is that's totally like learning a whole new platform. It's a lot. It's true. It's it's I mean, a lot. yeah. You said it. <laughs> um 
Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on more of those Resident Evil 4 remake rumors, and congrats to Capcom on the fantastic numbers for Resident Evil 3 remake. I still have to finish my playthrough <laughs> and face off against Nemesis again. He's so scary. You did so well the first time. Thank you. I mean, it helped that I had Brittany coaching me the whole way. <laughs> if I had just done that on my own, it would not have gone nearly as well, so... <laughs> But I didn't do it on baby-ass baby mode, but maybe I could. Maybe that'll be an easy way to to drop it down because I even, I'm even wearing my baby-ass baby mode shirt today. I mean, sometimes you just got to go for the baby-ass baby mode. Or all the time, you know. No <laughs> Can all I talk right, about Warzone? Next, yes, let's <laughs> okay. do it. Uh, Take it away. Next story from Games Radar. Call of Duty Warzone Trios mode is back. And this is from Jordan Gerblick over there a couple days ago. Uh, And it reads, Activision and Infinity Ward have apparently been listening to Call of Duty Warzone fans as they have decided to bring Trios mode back to the Battle Royale shooter just two days after it was removed. Side note, that is really fast. I I don't know if that necessarily means they were listening and reacted or if they had planned to bring it back and maybe just flip that switch a little quicker. Uh, Jury's out for me. But um, continuing on, the big Call of Duty Season 3 update brought a bunch of changes to Modern Warfare and the free-to-play Warzone. Amongst the big updates were three new Modern Warfare 3v3 maps, shout out to Rust, uh, two new weapons, a new operator, and quads mode for Warzone Battle Royale. All all was well and good until players noticed that the new quads mode wasn't complementing the existing trios mode, but rather replaced it entirely. As their friends on PC Gamer pointed out, the response to trios being canned was less than universally positive. The Warzone subreddit was rife with complaints about the loss of trios squads, and shortly after, Infinity Ward issued a rather concise announcement via Twitter that trios were back. Right now, there's a thread on the reversal that's attracted over 1,100 comments and 95% upvotes. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> at least in the Warzone community's eyes, the players spoke and the developers listened. Um, they're just skipping ahead to the end of uh, the write-up. Both options are now available, and we're pretty sure that Duo's mode is on its way next. So I will say I was very excited to see quads come to Warzone because quads means more friends. More friends equals more fun. But I did not realize immediately that trios was gone in favor of quads. And so I understand why people freaked out. Uh, Trios, if you have your set trio, like your tight three that is ready to go in and dominate in Warzone, shaking that up forcibly is not a great experience. So I, I can understand why people were upset. I never understood the whole idea of restricting the size of the teams anyway. I mean, I guess like they, I mean, at its face, like they want to make sure it's balanced and that there's the equal amount of people yeah. on each team. But I, I would hope that they would allow people to go in with fewer players if they want to, if they opt in for that. Like if there's a trio mm-hmm. that's like, yo, we're so good that we definitely can go up against other other quad teams like just let us just let us give it a try i don't know why they wouldn't let them there's always a weird thing to me that that battle royale does this and like why take it away just add it just leave it in yeah who cares let people choose Um, i'm glad that they were able to to course correct quickly again whether that was planned or not um more choice is is better for me so i would imagine that it wasn't planned no that they I mean, like, if it was planned, I mean, why would they, why would you plan it like that? 
<laughs> I don't know. Like maybe that? like give everyone a week to feel it out. And they're like, oh, no, never mind. Just, just turn it back on. <laughs> yeah, I just like it feels like the what they should have done is just like added quad mode and not ta- taken away anything. Yeah, definitely. You Taking know? stuff away is always going to have some strong feedback. Well, particularly when you're selling a battle pass, right? So, like, that's the tough part about these free-to-play games. Speaking of, you know, free-to-play and the whole idea of microtransactions and loot boxes, you know, you have to make sure that you're honoring the the commitment that you made to players who are giving you money for your game. So, if somebody's like, "Hey, yo, I bought this battle pass," mm-hmm. because the if I'm please correct me if I'm mistaken, but the change did not line up with a new battle pass, right? Uh, not a new battle pass. They added a new operator and I think some skins and stuff, but not an entirely new pass. Right. So if you had been, so if you bought the battle pass playing in trios and you're like, cool, I bought this, I'm grinding away, trying to get all my rewards, and then they took trios away, you're like, whoa, what the heck? I bought the pass because I was playing with my friends and now I can't play in this, as a trio anymore. Like that to me is like a head scratcher. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you do that. <laughs> but good news. It's fixed. It's fixed. Hooray. We can play with whoever we want. <laughs> we got to go back and play more. We do. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I've been missing some Call of Duty. Yeah. I got a few I'm matches in. in Rust, and no, they brought back some really good feels. Yeah, but you always want to play the regular Call of Duty modes, and I'm really bad at those. <laughs> That's okay. We can carry you. Oh, thanks, friend. <laughs> That's what friends are for. <laughs> That's why we have Lucigen for Valorant. <laughs> Craig just doing all the heavy lifting in that game for sure. (laughs) Okay, uh, continuing on the next story we've got. The first mod that will let you finish Half-Life Alex without VR is here. Um, So this story is from PC Gamer. A couple of weeks ago, they looked at the non-VR mode for Half-Life Alex that made Valve's new shooter partially playable with the mouse and keyboard controls, but it was still in pre-alpha and kind of a mess, and it wasn't possible to complete the game with it. Now, there's a new non-VR mod promising it will let players experience the entirety of Half-Life Alex without a headset. The setup process may be a bit complicated. There's a seven-minute video explaining what to do. But apparently, once it's complete, you'll be able to flat screen your way through the whole thing. There's a list of controls at the GitHub page which notes that the movement, smooth movement, of course, defaults to the arrow keys rather than WASD. Interesting. And there are also some walkthrough notes for the sections that players might have some difficulty with thanks to revised controls. So this is interesting because I know that a lot of people were making comments publicly about wanting this in a non-VR platform. It is great that you can play it on all of the VR platforms with the exception of PSVR right now, I believe. But it's, I think they said it's coming to PSVR at some point. Uh, someone in chat can correct me yeah, um, sure. if that's not the case. But still, the amount of people that have VR headsets compared to the amount of people that have just straight up PCs, not to mention the consoles as well, it kind of made you go, well, I understand why Valve wanted to promote VR as someone who's heavily invested in the VR space. But when you have arguably Valve's most iconic IP with a brand new game that was then very well received, like, why not, why not just make it available for people without VR? Yeah, I mean, I I understand that 
I, I mean, I've watched a few of the, the gameplay videos on the VR version, and it looks incredible, honestly. Um, shout out to Alex Van Aken at um, OK Beast and his hilarious reactions to things popping up when he turns around and doesn't know that they're there. Um, but it is a shame to lock people out of a gaming experience, especially one <laughs> that people have been asking for for so long um, behind a VR paywall, which is pretty steep. Yeah, I mean, especially on PC, if you think about it, yeah. I mean, we don't need to go over those numbers again. We've talked about them a million times. But uh, I am glad, though, that, you know, um, a mod is in the works and sounds like almost ready to go. But hopefully Valve will make it available for everybody else. Because yeah. I'm interested in trying it out. I just don't know if I want to. Yeah, and I, and I would VR like to support Valve while trying it and not, you know, taking some complicated backdoor route <laughs> so that would be nice if they could hand it over yeah well <laughs> we won't be playing half-life alex anytime soon but a game that we have been playing that uh has been out for about a week now a little over a week now yeah. is valorant from riot games so i can take this one Okay, well, the whole thing is like I don't want to read this whole thing. Okay, and it's, it's pretty. Long. And I've and I've deleted certain sections of it. So let me just explain a little bit about what this article is. So it's, this is a, a feature from Sam. Um, oh, Sam, I always mess up your last name. Machevkovic. Machevkovic. I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> Sam, I'll, I'll DM you after this and be like, please phonetically tell me how to say your last name. Um, he's great. So I've known Sam for a couple of years now, and he wrote this nice feature on Valorant over at Ars Technica, like I mentioned. So if you guys want to read the whole thing, you can. But the headline is, Valorant makes you watch before you play. That'll change online games forever. And so essentially, he kind of just runs down why he thinks this is such a great thing for for the game so i'll just read a little bit here at the top why do i keep coming back to valorant a new online tactical combat game from riot most of my reasons can be found in my april 8th closed beta impressions article which again you can go to ars technica to check out in which i break down the game's impressive twists on counter-strike in that article i briefly point to one unique aspect of the game's closed beta state how players actually get into this early test you didn't sign up for a newsletter enter a contest or otherwise look for digital unlock keys no you had to watch other people play the game before you could join in. Now, I want to expand on this. Restricted access to the early beta test of the games has been done for years, but never like this. And Riot and Twitch's partnership is worth dissecting. Its success is a guarantee that we'll see other games attempt this trick again. So he then kind of goes back to how Riot announced it back on March 30th. They said that its new tactical hero shooter Valorant is set to launch as a free-to-play product at some point, but it would debut in a playable closed beta format back on April 7th. The announcement came with a dump of gameplay impressions from popular Twitch streamers. This small pool of players had previously invited to play Valorant in a private hours-long session with each other, and that gameplay footage was recorded. Those streamers then turned around and shared those video captures with fans with their personal editions of commentary and viewers chat feedback so at this point that's when a select amount of streamers were given access to play the game and then everybody was allowed to watch and then you had the opportunity to get a twitch drop and to get access just by watching somebody else play so why would those who who were watching why would they do this essentially he kind of like runs down kind of the results of this 
What he says is that it ended up having a self-selecting pool of interesting of interested studied players. They wanted to play, Sam writes. They wanted to watch someone else play for at least an hour or so. They saw the game through someone else's eyes, complete with their commentary, their tactics, their calls of crucial in-game elements. I've gone to a game convention where players wait in line and watch an orientation video about in-game tactics, then play a demo match, and it's always a mess definitely been there before (laughs) i have landed in a cold turkey beta test where the average player pool is a soup of clueless participants been there before as well (laughs) picked clean by the exceptions an issue exacerbated by unfinished games matchmaking systems which can't divide players into skill level tiers however with valorant not so so essentially, he continues to kind of detail why it's so important to watch. And I wanted to talk to you, Rhi, about this because we did get to play Valorant together Yeah, because we, you know, we were given access to the beta. And I wanted to ask you how you felt about this idea of watching other people play first. And do you think it would have been more helpful for you to have been in the position to watch all other people before you got access yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> uh, the the Wazdi Wall, honestly, is probably the biggest influencer in in my sectitude in Valorant. <laughs> um, watching other people play games though does help a lot, and and here's why: it's because there's a certain level of flow of map and spatial predictability of where your opponents and your teammates will want to go um, especially in a game like Valorant where you shoot through walls with a lot of abilities and and weapons Um, there's knowing the different characters and their loadouts and their abilities and functionalities Um, all of that is really difficult to absorb by reading or even by looking at screenshots or even by looking at gameplay passively when you can watch a streamer, especially a streamer who knows a little bit more about what they're doing than you would, um, execute a match and then see what chat is saying and see them responding to chat and giving their input and advice and reactions. It it colors it a lot more clearly. And that will always make the the gameplay when you go in stick a little bit more in your mind so that you have that context and that background. Um, without a doubt, it helps 100%. And it also makes you feel more empowered as a player to try things that maybe you wouldn't if you were just going in blind and like, let me just walk over here and watch everybody else play. That's a, a less exciting time as a new player. And it's definitely less fun as your supporting player, as Lucigen <laughs> will probably know, um, when everyone's just following you and they don't know what to do. So I think this is a fantastic way to to put a hero shooter, which I guess is sort of a category that this could fall under, um, out for the world, um, especially when it's free. And there's a lot of people who will be joining in who know nothing about it and who maybe don't specialize in this type of game. And it was really, really smart of them to do. Yeah, it's an interesting way to launch this type of beta. And I think the fact that the game is more tactical and more squad-based than your average 5v5 PvP shooter that's happening... Um, it's, it's just one of those things that I think 
is so unique about how Riot launched this. And I'm going to be the first to admit that I was incredibly skeptical of (laughs) what this game was going to be when we first saw that reveal trailer. And I saw the first like little snippets. I was like, man, it looks so much like Overwatch. And I think that was because we did not yet understand that the FPS gameplay element was going to be so much like Mm Counter-Strike. And so the kind of marriage between having a very precise FPS like Counter-Strike married with the kind of colorful heroes with abilities that you see, you know, like in an Overwatch. It's something that I can't quite put my finger on. And it's a really interesting style of gameplay. And I do think it's great that, you know, they are kind of slowly rolling in people, obviously not only for the health of their servers (laughs) and the integrity of the online matchmaking, but also because I think it allows them to potentially make some hot fixes or tweaks much more easily when they're doing with a smaller pool of players and don't have to necessarily worry about balance with a much wider set of players in the beta. But I'm definitely excited to see more people play and get more thoughts on it. So yeah, maybe some controller support. (laughs) (laughs) Controller support will probably come eventually, um, if not directly through Riot, through maybe somebody third party. But um, I understand the the whole idea of like, you know, in order to be a precise shooter, you have to use precise controls and blah, 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 yeah. PC master race, whatever you want, sure. want to call it. But I, from my perspective, like I will only be able to play this game competently with a controller because I just do not have the amount of hours to dedicate to getting good at WASD. Yeah, no, my left hand just just can't do it. And you know what? I'm okay (laughs) with that. At this point, as a middle-aged or regular-aged gamer, I'll accept that (laughs) I will not be a PC shooter god. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I've just come to the realization that it's just not going to happen. It's just not for me. (laughs) (laughs) But overall, that aside... Did you enjoy your time with it? I don't know. And I I say that reluctantly because I do want to have a take on it. Um, I see why it's fun. Definitely. I really enjoy watching it. I've started watching it now. Um, I don't know if I'll have fun playing it. I think I accidentally took a photo of you. In the yeah, you did. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to be distracting. That's not what I was trying to do. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, I don't think... I will enjoy playing it until I can be good at it because it's hard for me to play a game like that and just suck all the time. But I see why other people would enjoy it. If you're a PC shooter, if this is not a new realm or territory for you, definitely give it a try. All right. Well, there you go. You've got a a ringing endorsement from (laughs) from Rihanna. Um, Okay. cool. Let's uh, let's maybe pin our thoughts on Valorant because I think we should we should stream and then we can talk more about it. Yeah. Oh, Condescend says, I believe in you, Andrea. You will get good with mouse and keyboard a lot faster than you think. That's kind. I'm actually not bad with the shooting part of it. Yeah, the the shooting and the aiming is fine. It's the movement part, especially when I'm under pressure, because that's the toughest part of any competitive shooter from my view, is that whenever you kind of get into a really tight kind of 1v1 situation with another player you know, your movement can save you more than your shooting skills. And like with WASD, I just like bump into things and looking at the ground or I don't move at all because I've hit the wrong key. I'm like (laughs) hitting the R key or something. And then I'm like, well, there we go. I'm dead now. Yep. (laughs) It happens fast too. Like time to kill is really short. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's go ahead and 
wrap up the news because we have a little bit of Dear WGG to get to. So let's just go ahead and jump right in to what we've got going on. So the first question that we have for Dear WGG is one that we've actually got quite a few times over the last couple of weeks. And just as a reminder, if you guys want to contribute questions and you can't be with us at twitch.tv slash what's good games live on Monday mornings, you can submit your questions anytime throughout the week for not only the Monday show, but the Friday show as well at what's good slash dear WGG, all lowercase. I know sometimes if you capitalize those, it takes you to a dead link. So be aware of that. Um, this question comes from Vandalite Industries, and they write: Due to the COVID nineteen, or due to COVID nineteen, gaming has become a great way to pass the time, not just for existing gamers, but for newcomers as well. If someone who hasn't played video games in a long time or is new to gaming asked for your advice on where to start, what are the first three games you would tell them to try, and why? What do you think, Ray? Um, I had thought a lot about this this morning, and. Uh, it's I want to be platform agnostic, but I can't because the first one's Ori. Um, it's Ori in the Blind Forest, which I am not quiet about loving quite a bit. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And the reason why I would say it's because it's very similar to those platforms that a lot of people played in childhood. And if you're coming back to gaming after a while, it will feel uh, pretty familiar. Um, they give you a lot of guidance as far as like the the moving and if you're ever hold if you've ever held a controller before it will feel natural um but then it also has a really good skill level increase and i say this knowing that a lot of people are like oh my god i wanted to break my controller when i played ori but if the difficulty is too much you can put that in baby as baby mode and it's also a really really enjoyable experience even if you're not doing well because the music and the art is so breathtakingly beautiful and I find that game is is really, really soothing. And even when you're not doing well with the platforming or the, the really difficult boss battles, um, I still had a really good time playing it. So that's the first one. Excellent. I have you in a one shot as I'm trying to fix oh. the television behind me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Should I go on to my number two? Uh, sh- or do you want to sure. give your number one? Um, well, I... I don't have them ranked. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I have been talking to some people about, you know, some some good ideas of games that are easy to play. Because we've also gotten the question like, hey, what can what games can my kids play right now? Mm-hmm. But a game that, you know, I always, or games that I always go back to that I think are really easy for people who aren't familiar with game controllers specifically to get into are narrative adventure games. So mm-hmm. games like anything from from Telltale, whether it's Telltale's The Walking Dead, Wolf Among Us. you know, The Wolf Among Us is great. Game of Thrones is, is a nice easy entry for people as well who are familiar with the TV series. Or Minecraft that, for the kids. Minecraft, Minecraft is obviously very approachable for gamers of all ages and skill levels, of course. It's just not, that's not generally one of the first personal recommendations that I make because I haven't oh, spent a lot of time No, I made the Telltale version of Minecraft. Oh, I actually never played the Telltale Minecraft game. Oh, yeah, it's pretty cute. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. And I was just reminded the other day that you can play it on Netflix, apparently. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, you would think now would be the time that Netflix would want to debut more of their interactive series, like Bandersnatch. Yeah, that Bandersnatch like, They're probably getting more traffic now than they have in a long time. Yeah. That Netflix has ever not been popular, but um, <laughs> everybody's just busy watching Tiger King, let's be real. Oh, my God. 
Um, so th- those those games are games that I think are really great because it doesn't. It's not really control intensive when you're talking about using both of the sticks to to look and walk around that's that barrier of entry is bigger than i think a lot of gamers realize or remember because so many of us have been playing with controllers for years and years now that it's just muscle memory and you don't you don't remember just how difficult it was to get used to that and i know steimer's favorite recommendation for that of course is always viva pinata she sings the praises of viva pinata far and wide great game (laughs) fantastic game um, what is your second game? Um, my second one is actually going to be Overcooked, <laughs> which oh dang <laughs> can be pretty frustrating, <laughs> um, or not depending on how well you excel at it or how many stars you're going for. Um, and the reason I say Overcooked is because I recently introduced my mom to Overcooked when she was visiting um, back <laughs> over the holidays, and it was very funny because on the controller she. <laughs> I have my switch here for video purposes. She would constantly move her character with the, the D-pad instead of the the toggle. And I couldn't figure out why. And it was because that was the only thing that she understood visually. And it still worked. So if somebody is used to moving in four directions just in their mind, I don't know, it's because she's an engineer or what, um, and not in a in complete circle with your character movement, um, it seems like it's a little bit easier to to translate that and still be successful. Because we got three stars on every level we went to. So Overcooked Dang. would be my second one. Plus That's it's co-op. Great. So who was who was the communicator? Who was the person barking the, the orders? Was it you or her? It was me. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like that communication is such a big part of anybody's success in Overcooked mm-hmm. because I remember Steimer talking to me about how she was playing with Alana, I think, and they were doing really well playing Overcooked together. Yeah. But when like the three of us would play or the four of us would play um, back when Alexa Ray was playing with us, it would just be a tire fire. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely hard with two teams too because you start forgetting who you're supposed to listen to. Yeah, or, you know, your teammate sabotages you. Well, looking at you, Joey. That's right. Sorry. Just kidding. I'm not, I'm not still salty about it. I'm not still salty about it at all. Nope. <laughs> nope. Everything's fine. What, um, else, that's a great, what else would you that's recommend? That's a great pick. Um, I would recommend... Hmm, man, I mean, there's like so many... I. I think that there's a lot of games on mobile that are really easy for people to get into, but they're sometimes even just opening up the mobile store can be (laughs) a little bit daunting, but I like to pick things that are more accessible or on devices that you might already own. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't necessarily want to recommend like God of war (laughs) because like, first off that game is amazing, but like you have to have a PlayStation four to play it. Yeah. So if you don't have that, it's not like you're going to go out and buy one of those right now during the pandemic. But Maybe I should do one for hmm another good game to play for a non gamer or somebody who hasn't played games in a long time. Yeah. I don't know, maybe Tetris Effect? Oh, good pick. Because yes. Tetris is that universal game that everybody knows. Everybody knows how to play it. It's iconic across the world. Mm-hmm. But what I loved what they did with Tetris, Tetris Effect is that they took the classic gameplay and then just elevated it and then added this phenomenal soundtrack, just beautiful graphics, and really kind of took the Tetris experience and brought it into you know the, the 21st century. And so for people who haven't played Tetris, 
since like maybe their Game Boy days or however long <laughs> it's been since they've played, played video games. I think that that's a great thing to get into as well. Also, in VR, the game is simply breathtaking. So Ooh. if you guys do own a VR headset, whether it be Quest or, or Vive or PSVR, whatever you have, if you still have been sleeping on getting Tetris Effect, please do yourself a favor and check it out. Yeah, I'll have to try that in VR. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Mm. I have a mobile game suggestion. Um, okay, do it. And this is one that is not new, but I have been playing it a lot. Um, it came as a recommendation from again, my partner, New, and it's called Void Tyrant, V-O-I-D Tyrant. And okay. it's a combination of like a roguelike, a deck builder, and blackjack. And <laughs> maybe, maybe even like a base builder. It's There's a lot of mechanics in this game. And if you want to avoid all of the commercials that it makes you watch in order to get um, your dollars, your currency in the game. You can pay five bucks and you never see another one again. Or you can just bear with it. Um, That's, as far as I know, the ceiling for the in-game transactions. So it's not very predatory. And it's very easy to pick up and put down if you stop playing in the middle of a run, um, a dungeon run. It will save your progress even if you close your entire phone down which is nice because it doesn't punish you for having a life. Um, And it's also very, very cute. The art style is very cutesy. Um, It has like little skeletons that look like paper monsters. It's it's very, very enjoyable and nice when you're, you just need like five minutes to play something and obviously doesn't require much Twitch skill. What's the name of it again? Void Tyrant, V-O-I-D Tyrant. Void Tyrant. Great. Okay. Great. Cool. I'll have to check this out. Um, Edward Bova in the Twitch chat says, I definitely recommend the golf story on Nintendo oh, Switch. It's yes. really fun. It's E10 rated and it's a golf RPG game that's on sale for 40% off on the Nintendo eShop right now. Look at that. Good Boom. Call. I love a off. good deal. Damn, that's a good sale. <laughs> um, I probably need a little bit more time to think about what my third pick will be. Maybe I'll come back at the end of this. Yeah, last we gave question. a lot of a lot of bangers, so there's plenty yeah. to to dig through right there. I agree. Okay, so we're gonna end the show on the this question from Golden Corsair, longtime fan, first time submitting a question. This may be the one that you've answered before, but recently I've been hearing a lot of people lamenting that certain games are too short, i.e., RE3 remake. Do you think that there's a minimum number of hours a game should be to warrant the $60 price tag? And as fans of games, do we tend to emphasize the amount of content over the quality of our experience? For instance, why I liked Fallout 4 and put 100 plus hours into it, I enjoyed my time playing The Outer Worlds much more, in part because there was noticeably less filler. Obviously, this varies from genre to genre, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks for taking my question, and thanks for all the amazing content. Well, thank you, Golden Course there. all. So we have discussed this um, in a variety of ways, but not specifically in the question that you have asked. So I think that it really depends on the gamer, first and foremost, whether they what they put their value on. Obviously, we all have different personal sensibilities on what value is to us. I would say for me, it always comes down to quality over quantity, but it can't be understated that it's important to have enough value for dollar, dollar for dollar in the same genre that you're in. So for example, if you're an RPG, 
I think if I'm making an RPG, I look at what other big RPGs are out there at that same price point of the style of game that I'm making and go, does my game compare favorably? Because if gamers are going to compare games side by side in the same genres, then you want your game to stack up. But you don't necessarily compare a game like Devil May Cry 5, for example, to a game like Skyrim, right? They're just <laughs> wholly different games, even though they both launched at you know a regular MSRP price point. So I think that would be my way of looking at it, is that obviously we all want a quality game, but sometimes games have different measurements for quality because of the type of game they are. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's that's exactly what my answer would have been. Uh, it depends on the space you're, you're occupying and, and the segment that you're going after. Um, obviously, there are a lot of games that are cross genre and maybe you have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Like I just gave an example for a mobile game. that's like four different <laughs> types of games in one. But you, you got to know the space you're in. Right. And you can't compare apples to apples if some apples are inside, which is, you know, a very specific type of game or like you said god of war which is a very different type of game so it, you, you got to know your space and if the game has enough to say to justify the price point sixty dollars forty dollars five dollars whatever it is um it should stand out against its competitors and if it doesn't meet at least like the the minimum of story quality gameplay mechanics whatever it is that genre really excels at or sings about um then I think it should be something that's still at a lower price. But, I mean, that's for marketing teams to decide, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, it's interesting talking about, you know, the $60 price point and how it really hasn't moved in quite a long time and how we see more and more studios adding post-launch content or mm -hmm. in-game cosmetic content, in-game digital items of all different types to help supplement development and why that's necessary for, for certain studios. And I think what it comes down to is you just got to look at the development team at the behind the game that you're making, because I think they're just as important to think about, do I want to support this team? Do I want to support more creative works from these creators? And that's why I tend to buy a lot of in-game items for games that I love because I'm like, hey, I really like this thing. I want to support the people who are making it. And the easiest way to do that is for me to buy products inside the game that help support the studio and help support the team. But everybody's situation is different. And so I think you just got to put, you know, your value and what it means for you. Yeah. And again, with, with pricing, with making your choices as a consumer, like context is everything. Like if you have in Apex Legends, which is a Battle Royale free game, and you have Warzone, which is a Battle Royale free game. Keep in mind, Warzone's also attached to Call of Duty, which is one of the biggest games of all time. And it, it really does make a difference when you look at other things that you could get out of getting into that developer's game or getting into that IP or getting into that, you know, publishing, I guess, <laughs> cinematic universe. Like, like there's, there's, there's other things that become accessible to you or or don't depending on where you put your eyes and your dollars and if you can support people in an ecosystem that has a free game but you like the what they're doing i think you should um if they have a 60 dollars game and it's either buy it and play it or don't that's really up to you or just wait for it to go on sale i guess yeah that 40 percent nintendo eShop sale <laughs> that's I a mean, really deep cut that's good 
most games go on sale eventually. There are a few holdouts. <laughs> Looking at you, GTA Five. <laughs> GTA Five will never. Just, they don't have to. They sell their top five like every time exactly. you look at a chart. MPD is like they they will drop off of this chart eventually, and Rockstar is like, nope, we're gonna <laughs> hang on until NPD doesn't exist anymore. Which is a weird thing to think about. <sighs> anyway, yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Put value. Put value on what you want. Okay, that is going to do it for our show today. Don't forget, we've got another show on Friday morning, and we've got the What's Good Games movie matinee. And just as a little like fun contest that I'm running, Butterfinger, yes, the candy, Butterfinger, sent me a little package over the weekend, a Game Better with Butterfinger package that included some toys and a couple things, but more importantly, included a code to Final Fantasy VII Remake, plus some codes for in-game content for the game that I'm going to be giving away on my Twitter account today. So if you've been hearing people talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake, including us, and you're like, yo, uh, I want that. You should make sure to follow me on Twitter at Andrea Renee, and I'll be giving that away at some point later today. And as a reminder, in the show last week, Steimer and I talked about our experiences with the first 15 hours up through around chapter 9, chapter 9, chapter 10, roughly, in Final Fantasy VII. So if you were able to dig in over the weekend and you were waiting to listen to our thoughts, it is a spoiler-free conversation on the first half of the game. And then, of course, you know, we've been playing more. We will be talking more about Final Fantasy VII um, in the coming weeks. And we will eventually be doing a spoiler cast, but we're going to wait a little while for that. Because yeah. we obviously want to give people time to to play through the game. So. I'm excited for that spoiler cast. I This is my first Final Fantasy game, so I am very excited for that spoiler cast. Have you started playing yet? I have. I'm about five and a half hours in. Oh, okay. That's some good progress because you just downloaded it yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't that's do much the thing else. That, that's the thing, though, right? Once you start playing, it gets its hooks in you, and then you're like, ooh, it this is, is good. So playable. It, oh, it's so easy to get lost in that game. It's I'm having a good time so far. See, now you know why I was up until 3 a.m. every night last yeah, week. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your week, and we will see you later. Bye. Bye.